The crucifixion has happened, the resurrection has happened, and then Jesus starts showing up. Jesus showed up at the tomb when Mary Magdalene was looking for him. He appears to his disciples in the upper room. The story of doubting Thomas uh, was last week. And this week, he appears again to the disciples who have traveled back to Galilee. It's important to know what happened before. And many of you know, but in case you don't, um, Peter was a very passionate disciple um, who had pledged his loyalty to Jesus. But Jesus had predicted that Peter would fail in that promise. And sure enough, on the night of the Last Supper, when Jesus is taken by the authorities from the Garden of Gethsemane, the disciples all scatter. And after that, Peter is um, at the house of the high priest in the courtyard, and there are a lot of people around. And sure enough, he gets asked, Are you a follower of that man inside? And Peter emphatically says no. Let's listen to what's happening now. Again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will come with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish. Have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they, there were so many fish, they were not able to haul it in. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not yet torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time 
that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. The word of God for the people of God. All of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever done something wrong? I'm going to go out on a limb here and just say that no, I think no matter who we are, we could say yes to that question. To err is human, right? Everyone makes mistakes once in a while. Or a poor choice. So maybe the question is, have you ever done something wrong that was really big? Something that you really regretted that made you feel embarrassed or ashamed? That's the case with Peter in our scripture for today. As the Easter narrative goes, he had promised Jesus that he would stick by his side, do anything, go anywhere, even lay down his life. And what happened? The night he made those promises in the upper room where the disciples had gathered for a meal, when Jesus washed their feet and Judas slipped out to meet up with the ones who were out to get Jesus, that very night when Peter had pledged his loyalty, not to a buddy, not to his mother, but to Jesus the Christ, the Savior of the world, Peter folds at the first sign of trouble. The disciples all scatter from the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter does try to find out what is going on. That's why he's hanging out in the courtyard of Caiaphas, the high priest, who is interrogating Jesus. But when he is asked if he is one of Jesus' followers, Peter says, no. Not once, but three times. He promised to stay faithful, even unto death. But on the same night when he makes that promise, he breaks it 
Why? We can only speculate, but a pretty good guess is that he was afraid, right? Jesus had just been taken away. Peter didn't know what was going to happen to him, but it didn't look good. And it wasn't good. Jesus was taken to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea, and ended up being sentenced to death by crucifixion. He died a cruel and reprehensible death. But the good news of Easter is that death did not have the last word. Jesus rose again. Not only did the women who came to the tomb early on that Sunday morning to embalm Jesus' body find no body to embalm, Jesus appeared alive. And then in the room where the disciples had gathered, Jesus appeared again, not once, but twice. And now some of the disciples have traveled back to Galilee, to the Sea of Tiberias, or the Sea of Galilee. It has several names. It is where things started. Peter, who was called Simon back then, was recruited by Jesus on the shores of that freshwater lake, along with his brother Andrew and the sons of Zebedee, James and John. They went back and returned to what they knew, fishing. And they were out all night, but they don't catch anything. And what happens as the sun begins to appear over the horizon? A man on the shore calls out to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. They do what he says, and they're not able to pull the net in because there are so many fish. One of the disciples figures it out, right? He says to Peter, It is the Lord! Peter jumps in the water in his haste to get to Jesus. Did you catch that he had to put clothes on first? Who knew that you fish in the buff? I didn't know that. (laughs) He was probably overjoyed, but also a little wary, right? Is this for real? But, you know, he rushes through the water. Jesus invites them to breakfast. He has a charcoal fire going, reminiscent, you know, of the charcoal fire in the courtyard of Caiaphas, with bread and fish cooking, reminiscent of the Last Supper. They share a meal together, and then Jesus starts asking Peter questions. Have you ever had a parent call you by your full name when you're in trouble? Martha Louise Fitzgerald, Dion James Johnson. Those aren't real people. I made those up. I don't think that Peter was in trouble, but it signifies that Jesus was saying something really important that Jesus uses his full, formal name. Jesus had renamed him Peter, a nickname that means rock or rocky. <laughs> so I read it in one commentary, that was funny. But his birth name was Simon, right? So Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. And then he asks a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter answers again, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, tend my sheep. And then Jesus asks a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's getting exasperated, right? Because he already said it twice, but he says it again. 
Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. It isn't an accident that Jesus asks Peter three times if Peter loves him. Three times he asks if Peter loves him enough to do what Jesus wants of him, to feed Jesus' lambs, to tend Jesus' sheep, and to feed Jesus' sheep. Peter had denied Jesus three times in the courtyard of Caiaphas, the high priest, and now he has the opportunity to pledge his love for Jesus three times. It is an opportunity to redeem himself and start again. It is a chance to wipe the slate clean. It is the chance for new life. Is Jesus promising Peter that the path ahead of him will be free of problems and have no risk or danger? No. Tradition holds that Peter was martyred for his faith in Christ. But Peter emerged as the leader of the group of Jesus followers that became the early church. Peter was the first to raise his voice and preach at Pentecost, the day when the church came into being, the day we celebrate when the Holy Spirit came down on the disciples. It's coming up in May. We'll celebrate it. He served as an advocate for the apostles when they were taken before the Jewish religious court in Jerusalem. He was the judge of contentious matters within the church. All in all, Peter dominated the small but growing community of Christians in the first 15 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So what about us? Just like the disciples, we too are on the path after Easter. What will we do with this new life that Jesus has offered us? If we've done something really wrong, we may be asking the question, does Jesus still love me after what I've done? The answer is yes. Jesus still loved Peter after he had denied him. Jesus is in the redemption business. What does redemption really mean? The Merriam-Webster Dictionary says that redemption in the Christian sense is the act of saving people from sin and evil. Sin is what separates us from God, so redemption is saving us from those things that put up a barrier between us and our loving Creator. If we made a list of sins, it would be pretty long, right? We all could add some of our behaviors to that list, however. None of us are perfect, and we all have made choices at one time or another that contributed to our own separation from God. One of my favorite little writings that I've ever encountered is a copy of the words that are posted on a sign outside of a church in South Africa. It acknowledges the list of sins and also the redemption offered to us to all of us, by Christ. It reads, Attention! Behind these doors, we worship regularly with liars, thieves, gossips, backbiters, people with troubled marriages, alcoholics, and drug takers. We welcome hypocrites and jealous, co envious, coveting, materialistic sinners, 
of all sizes, shapes, and colors. But the good news is, we all have something in common. We have all learned that the church, the body of Christ, is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. We have all learned that the Lord is our rest, that he reaches out to save us, and that we are the redeemed community of the saints. We come here to worship and praise him, and to continually plan how we might be better agents of change, salt, and light in a darkened world that needs the good news that Jesus saves. You are welcome, but be warned that we take Christianity seriously. I've never met an American church that was brave enough to post that outside. But I like it. I like it. I know we don't like to talk about it, though. Sin, I mean. I think it has to do with that embarrassment and shame we feel when we mess up. But today, when we're talking about the redemption of Jesus Christ, we will acknowledge that we all have things that we need Jesus to redeem. What a gift it is to be in a church where we can practice the love that was taught to us by God, where we can practice the forgiveness that we are taught by God, and where we can experience a new start, a new life, and even offer that to other people. I want to go back to the definition of redemption. Not only is it the act of saving people from sin, it is the the act of saving people from evil. What does evil mean? Again, Merriam-Webster says, evil is something that is morally reprehensible, wicked, as well as causing harm, pernicious. If redemption is the act of saving a person from sin and evil, it includes not only those things we have done, but also those things done to us. There is certainly evil in this world. Sometimes the sins of other people are the evil that happens to us. Can Jesus redeem that? Yes. I want to share a story with you. It's about an immigrant immigrant family in the United States. Back in the 1940s, it was uncommon for a German woman with pale skin and a Cuban man with dark skin to be married. But this couple loved each other very much. They had a house full of children, a car. They were living the American dream. The husband had a temper, however, and one night as the couple was at a restaurant celebrating their anniversary, he punched another man who had insulted his wife. The man who got punched didn't die, but his neck was broken. And the husband was convicted of attempted murder and went to jail. The wife had a job, but when the newspaper ran a story on the crime, she was let go. She got busy and started cleaning houses to make ends meet. But then she got sick. With, breast, uh, with brain cancer, 
She couldn't work. They couldn't pay their bills. They lost their house. They lost their car. They were homeless and living on the streets. And a pimp offered the 14-year-old daughter, the oldest child of seven, a way to survive. She began having dinner with clients, which eventually led to more than dinner. She was 16 when she got pregnant. Her employer was not happy about it and did everything he could to end the pregnancy, giving her drugs and alcohol, kicking her in the stomach, and more. The baby would not die. Listen to what happens next. The baby was born two months premature with no pancreas, a learning disability, a bladder too small, unable to function, a severe stutterer. We call it a trick baby. Nobody wants the baby. No hope, no future. Kill it was the word. That baby was me. I'm the lowest of the low. I come from the guttermost. I come from a hellish condition. And so when I would go to school, I couldn't talk. I stuttered so severely from the trauma. My mother had a madam who hated men. Her name was Dolores, and she was a sadist. And when you are tortured like that, you learn four things. Don't talk, don't trust, don't feel, and pretend nothing is happening. And by age 10, I had had enough. I wanted to die. And in my school, they put me in a boiler room with other kids who were dysfunctional like me, where we would finger paint all day long. And yet there was a teacher, thank God for her, who had a Gideon Bible. And she came to my school and she saw kids like me as her mission field. And she would give me this Gideon Bible and read to me stories of dysfunctional characters who God used. She would say to me, Ronaldo, God uses greatly those who have been wounded very deeply. He will turn your pain into power, your wounds into wisdom. She had me read the story of Moses, who was also a stutterer. I began to understand that God did love a trick baby, even as low as I was. There was hope for me and possibility. And when a child begins to understand the love of God and the power of his word and the possibilities, it changes everything. How can a young man keep his way clean by taking heed according to your word? Your word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. I began to memorize the Bible, that Gideon Bible, reading 2,000 scriptures. And when you put that kind of word in a life, Something begins to happen. My stuttering went away. I stopped wetting the bed. I stood tall. I became valedictorian, became a pastor and priest until everybody in my family got saved. Why? Because somebody placed the Gideon Bible in a woman's hand that changed a life forever. I was just going to tell you the story, but I can't preach like that. 
That's the power of God at work. That is how lives can be transformed. That is how love and forgiveness and purpose can change a person from collapsing inside themselves to becoming a strong leader and change maker in their own right. Ron Archer, the man in that video, said, God uses greatly those who have been wounded very deeply. I don't know all of your stories. Maybe some of you in this room have been through pain like that. Maybe you know somebody who's been through pain like that. Maybe you know someone or maybe you have inflicted pain like that. What I do know is that the power of God and the love of God is greater than anything we can do or anything that can be done to us. There is healing and wholeness and new life for all who come to God. How can that happen? What do you have to do? You know when you go to a game place like Chuck E. Cheese's or Dave and Buster's? You play the games and then you get tickets. And then you take the tickets to the redemption counter and you redeem them for prizes. When it comes to God, you don't need any tickets. You might be saying, that's good, because all I have is the toothpick between my teeth and the lint in my pocket. God will take whatever we bring. Our past, our pain, our anger, our despair, our embarrassment, our shame. All we need is a repentant heart. What is that? To repent is to turn from sin and be ready for change in your life. Remember that sin is anything that separates us from God. And whether you need to ask for forgiveness or set down a burden of bitterness, Jesus will help. Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus offered him redemption for that betrayal. And as Peter professed his love for Jesus, he was given directives. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Jesus' sheep are the people of this world. Now we are the Jesus followers. Jesus offers us redemption too. We are offered new life with hope and healing and wholeness. Will this new life be free from problems and have no risk or danger? No. Does God give us directives too? Yes. In our membership vows in the United Methodist Church, we promise to renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, to reject the evil powers of the world, to repent of our sin, and to accept the freedom and power God gives us to resist evil, injustice, and oppression. It might get messy, but I can't wait to see what God will do through us. Amen. Amen.